Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast, our first episode of 2023. We're going to talk about CES, some of the exciting announcements from the Consumer Electronics Show. Apple Books now has AI-generated narration for some of their collection, and we're going to mention that whole LastPass and password manager debacle. This episode is brought to you by Factor and Collide, and joining me for the first episode of the year, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? It's fine, Stephen. Uh, shuffling through all the CES coverage, and now I'm finding out that we'll never get a William Red Apple Books. Uh, it's all going to be AI well, now, all the way down. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. But you know that the AI has to, I mean, be based on something. Right. I think. Anyway, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about AI narration because I do think that is a quite interesting change for Apple to to do something like that. But CES is going on right now in Las Vegas. Our friend Andrew O'Hara is over there. He's covering a bunch of stuff, and we talk about all of the Matter and smart home products. There were a ton announced and released. Tons of press releases. So listen to Hunkit Insider on Monday because we cover all of those things. We're going to touch on a couple things that, you know, tangentially Apple related. Everybody needs monitors and stuff. And so we talk about that, some wireless charging, but we have news as well. A few five-star reviews before we jump into it. El Waquito from the USA, he gave us four stars, but he said he will give us five stars when William watches Ted Lasso. I'm just saying this for William's sake. I don't know if that will ever happen, but uh, thanks for the, at least the four-star review. <laughs> I think that'll make him want to watch it less, actually. Oh, it might. It might. We'll see if it backfires. Lyman Field from Great Britain and Mike Swim from the USA. Thank you for those first five-star reviews of the year. Now, CES... You know, this is the huge electronic show. It happens every year in Las Vegas in January. Apple historically does not really much of anything at CES. This is not really Apple announcements, not a lot of Apple devices, but there are sometimes accessories. And it's interesting just to see the wild things that are announced. Steven, Apple may not be at CES, but there's an awful lot of coverage that like they pretty much own the show even though they're not present isn't it weird it is weird i mean it's so much of the conversation is around apple without them even having to show up like i that's just the brand power that they have at this point and that is true and and i'll just mention you know there are no apple devices released or announced at ces but like you're saying there's so many accessories like there's been announcements about wireless charging and magsafe that we'll get to so it is interesting like how much it sneaks in there you know everybody will mention apple but i do want to mention real quick the displays because one of the funniest things at CES is like the crazy TVs that you see, but there are some displays, some of them specifically targeting the Apple Studio display and Pro Display XDR offering alternatives, quote unquote, although they're not exactly one-to-one alternatives. Samsung has like a crazy 57-inch curved gaming monitor at 240 hertz. I thought maybe that would tempt William. You know, he likes his ultra-wide <laughs> monitors. Like a 45-inch ultra-wide 4K monitor, it's madness it's, it's hilarious this way william can put all his uh, text documents uh, side by side you know he can have like 30 text documents <laughs> but that's uh that's interesting but more so they uh, came out this is the viewfinity s9 from samsung and it is like one of these samsung products that when you squint it's like is that the studio display or is that the is something else and it is something else this is a 27 inch 5k display directly again taking on the studio display I mean, the thing is, it doesn't have the same connectivity. It does have some USB-C ports. I think it has Thunderbolt as well. And it has, you know, it, it looks very much like it, you know, if you want to knock off. I didn't see price, though. Did we see any price for this thing? Uh, there's no prices for any of these new products, as far as mm, I can tell. Right. Possible vaporware. And uh, I mean, they'll probably release it, but I guess it's nice to have an alternative, maybe? Well, Samsung also announced that they shrunk their M8, uh, that popular monitor that they have oh yes yeah they they it's normally 32 inches now it's 27 inches so that is also now right in the field of being like a studio display competitor and i want to see how those two compare Mm. um especially since you know it runs its own little tv platform inside of it that you don't need a computer to connect to so it's just an interesting set of devices that definitely if apple centric but maybe want to connect a console to one of these monitors like this is like the perfect kind of display because apple you know studio display you're not connecting a playstation to that not easily anyway sure the other competing display was from dell they announced a 32 inch 6k ultra sharp display this is more trying to take on the pro display xdr and, you know, a bunch of high-end specs. It does have, like, an HDMI port, USB-C. It does have Thunderbolt 4 port, which can power a laptop up to 140 watts. So, you know, you can use it with that kind of stuff. Has speakers built in, unlike Pro Display XDR. I, the, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the XDR does not have speakers built in, right? No, the Studio Display does, but the XDR does not. 
Correct. So it is not as attractive as the Pro Display XDR. Like the stand looks kind of like, as you would expect, the Dell monitor stand to be. And it's got bigger bezels probably than, like, especially the top part uh, than the Pro Display XDR. But more options out there. Again, no pricing. So we have no idea if it's actually competitive, although I'm sure it'll be less than $6,000. Oh, for sure. By all measurements, the Pro Display XDR is old technology. It's just Apple doesn't change the price of anything until it dies. It has, <laughs> to, it has to disappear from the market or be removed. Apple just does not budge on pricing, even if, you know, remember, what was it? The Trash Can Mac Pro was still $4,000, oh, like yeah. eight years after it was announced that you could still oh, buy it. For right? sure. Like it's You could still buy the, the 2019 Intel Mac Pro and it's the same price. Right. $50,000, right? <laughs> well, yeah, if you spec it up, yes. <laughs> and then there's also, you covered the ViewSonic 27 inch 4k display which yeah the studio display is 5k right right yeah it's a, it's a 5k so it's 27 inch 4k but nice display usb-c port 96 watt power delivery do you have any thoughts on this one i just like that it's oled it's it's funny that ah, a lot yes. of these are moving to oled and apple's still using their regular led backlight the studio display isn't even mini led right so it brings up the question of you know this is a 1500 dollars display and it's LED backlit, why why not at least move up to mini-LED? Will that increase the price that much? Or would OLED actually be cheaper at that range? It's it's a tough question because when you look at this ViewSonic, I don't think there's a price attached to it, but I'm willing to guess that it's a, it's a $900 range monitor. Like, that's the style that they usually go to. Right. I'm curious, listeners, do you guys use third-party monitors? I, I like my studio display. I waited a long time for a... Inexpensive one. I used the LG Ultrafine before it, which well, was notoriously fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I, I've reviewed a few monitors and I own a, a couple outside of Apple's. And I'll say the market outside of um, Apple, and this is why we were all so desperate as Apple fans for an Apple made monitor that didn't cost $6,000. Uh, it's awful. It's just, it's a bad world out there. Um, I, it's hard to recommend almost any monitor on the market because they're, most of them are 4K. We're finally seeing like this year, I think finally is the year of 5K entering the 27 inch lineup, which means that we're actually going to get the proper, what what is it, native resolution of Mac OS at, at 27 inches. Um, whereas before, if you're, if you're at 4K at 27 inches, you're running a scaled resolution of Mac OS, which is fine, but it's not that perfect uh, crispness that you get from like the MacBook or the iPad. So we're finally seeing that market change a little bit, but we're still dealing with HDR 400, which is uh, a made up spec that basically shouldn't even be there. If your monitor says that it's HDR, just turn it off. Uh, it'll look better. I, I Almost in every instance that I've tested like anything like this, it's just bad. I don't know why <laughs> it's so hard to make, but that's probably, again, why uh, Apple's displays are so expensive, even though notably the studio display is not HDR. But I just wanted to point out right. that these look promising, but there's always this weird edge case issue that... It's like it's great, but right. and then but you think, uh, but then I look at the studio display and yeah the webcam's stupid but I'm not using it but overall like it's been an excellent monitor it's definitely been my favorite that I've had in a long time yeah well and the last thing I want to mention kind of from CES Qi standard which Qi spelled Q I you know Qi is like the wireless charging standard the wireless power consortium announced that Qi two the next wireless charging standard will actually be adopting Apple's MagSafe as the basis for the standard, which is really cool because that means as Qi chargers are released in the future, they are able to make it MagSafe specifically, which if you remember, something that's Qi charging or regular wireless charging will be like five or seven watts, pretty much at the most, which is, you know, pretty slow charging speed. But Well, and Apple products. Oh, well, yeah, of course, Apple products, you, yeah. You can, you can have 15... Well, I, heck, I think I've seen like 40 watt wireless charging on the Android side of things. Uh, Xiaomi likes to up the wattage like crazy. Um, I don't think they're ever going to be able to sell in the United States because they'll uh, set buildings on fire. But you've seen crazy high wattages in, in the Qi standard. But because of that efficiency, like you're operating at like 50 or less percent efficiency when you're using standard right. Qi charging, charging. So you're getting almost half, if not less than that. And then, whereas MagSafe is closer to like 75 or 80%. So, but Apple operating at those lower wattages has always been kind of awful. And that's why MagSafe has been such a boon for um, Apple users. Sure. But hopefully this means we'll actually get some high wattage third-party chargers. Which would be amazing. And there were some announced, uh, I don't know if these are technically all MagSafe, but like Skosh has some really cool wireless charging pads. Like I'm looking at one specifically, we'll put a link in the show notes, but charge your phone, your watch, and then it has like three slots where you can like put an iPad or other devices and then USB-C ports on it. 
cool charging stations, I think. I don't like those just because it's like I'm not Walmart. I'm not going to charge six iPads sure. at the same time. Um, sure. I want to use these things and not display them that way. Or if I'm charging it, I would like it to be displayed in some way. Like I want it to show what music I'm playing or whatever. But yeah, uh, nothing announced at CES as far as I'm aware is G2 um, just because no, I, no, I think no, no. that's like uh, later this year. But the bigger story and what I what I'm excited for is that Qi 2 being based on MagSafe like Apple basically handed them the the basis of the standard as MagSafe right. which is uh, they're referring to it as something else, um, magnetic power profile. So, you know, mm, they're not right. going to call it MagSafe. You, you're not going to go to the store and see MagSafe branding. Well, you might just because manu- accessory manufacturers don't really care. It's not, I don't think it's a trademarked word technically. I don't think Apple owns the rights to the word MagSafe. I, we'd have to look at that. Uh, it's the same idea. The magnetic power profile basically means that the charging base and the device that is attaching to it both have magnets that align the charging um, pads in a way that basically ensure that the connection is uh, perfectly lined every time and you get that high efficiency rate. And they also promise that the standard will enable higher charging rates to be introduced to the Qi 2 standard later down the line. So we could see 20 watt MagSafe or higher as long as you know Apple builds in support. But that means accessory makers will be able to make universal chargers that can target samsung galaxy phones that are released later of course because it's not going to be backwards compatible they don't have magnets in the phone right now but going forward every new smartphone made with chi 2 charging standard will also be compatible with apple's chargers which i think is really exciting for the market yeah and so it's exciting i know i was actually at the mall the other day uh, with my kids and there was one of those little like mall kiosk things that were selling phone accessories and there was a very similar to the Belkin three-in-one tree charger looking thing on the th- on the stand. And my son was going to get it. And I was like, it looks cool. But it was A, $90, which is very close to like Belkin's pricing. And it's like, I would just prefer the official Belkin MagSafe or whatever. And I don't trust these things to actually be MagSafe. I imagine it's just a, you know, a holder with a seven or five watt charging. And then who knows how hot that battery is going to get night after night of charging it. And so I am hopeful that this Qi 2 standard, maybe even those like cheaper accessories, like no name brands or whatever, if they also adopt this Qi 2 standard, hopefully it'll be easier to spot at a distance or at a glance to say, oh yeah, that's like MagSafe. And I can trust it to charge my phone if I want to try some of these third-party accessories. Well, I imagine this has greater implications, too, for the accessory market because this doesn't just apply to charging. If every smartphone sold after, you know, this spring when the cheat, the standard launches, um, if every new smartphone sold is Qi 2 compatible, that means it has a magnet in the back of the phone. That means that Android users will have access to magnetic accessories similar to MagSafe wallets or grips or battery packs. So I foresee a near future where we have uh, Anchor and these other companies making battery packs that work on iPhone and Android or wallets that fit multiple phone types and stuff like that. And I think it'll greatly expand what's available in the market. Because while you can go online and find a lot of MagSafe accessories, it's still not iPhone case level of every third kiosk in the mall is selling 3,000 different cases. No, no, no. And I expect this will open that ecosystem up as well because why not take advantage of the magnets in your in your device you know, for other things other than charging? And that's where Apple came from with MagSafe. And as we all know, the industry loves mimicking Apple, and I can only see this also mimicking Apple in that way uh, for accessories as well. So good news all the way around. And finally, just to close this one out, I wanted to point out if Apple is the basis for the latest charging standard, the EU has no argument against Apple if they pull the USB-C port from a future iPhone or iPad. So because they because they will be using a universal charging standard, just not a wired one. Gotcha. All right, so that's CES again. We talk a lot about it on HomeKit Insider, and we'll cover any other big announcements on the next episode if there are things, you know, tangentially Apple-related. But let's jump into actual some Apple news. One quick question. Um, are you going to buy an LED fridge? <laughs> what was it, Samsung that announced the RGB yeah, thing? Yeah, the, the whole front display has like four panels that can be controlled that are just giant RGB lights. And I think you can like have notifications set up. Like if your milk goes bad, it turns red or something. <laughs> I'm always tempted, you know, I I will say I do want 
a smart washer and dryer that can at least tell me when it's like done or like how much time is left on a cycle. I feel like that would be a I, I want good a feature. home kit yes. smart washer and dryer that's like a doorbell, right? So the smart doorbells ring your home pods when someone rings the doorbell. Chime the home pods when the washer and dryer is ready. Yeah, that'd be nice. Take it all the way. Let me let me set a stove timer with Siri or you know <laughs> well, Right, right, right. I don't know. I don't like the idea of having computers and appliances that cost, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars because that chipset is going to be obsolete the minute you buy it and how often you're replacing that appliance. But if someone could just figure out a way to do this that isn't so scary and tie it into matter, and hopefully that means it's tied into HomeKit, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, sure. Gosh, we are so desperate for more HomeKit categories, right? I mean... <laughs> yes, robot vacuums. Robot vacuums is the big one, which matter the spec too might do it. But anyway... HomeKit Insider. Go check it. Check out them for uh, smart home stuff. Actual Apple news. This came out really just before we started recording, but there's now a large section in the Apple Books app where it states that novels are read by AI. The exact line description in Apple Books says, this is an Apple Books audiobook narrated by a digital voice based on a human narrator. And so it seems like some narrator, some voiceover artist is maybe getting credit. Again, that is totally unclear. There's been no news about that. But the fact that these are entire novels based on AI, you know, this has been such a chat GPT and AI art, like all these conversations. But this to me feels like one of the first really close, like real world a job of someone, namely a voiceover artist that reads audiobooks, which if you're not familiar, like you can go on Fiverr, Amazon, uh, I think it's ADX is like the huge library where you can like submit yourself as a voice actor and read and you can even audition for other book projects. And they can be, you know, pretty expensive depending, like sometimes it's up to a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars per hour of narrated book. You know, you can kind of set pricing that way. If this is an option, that becomes widely available where an author has a book and they can choose, do I hire a human being or do I pay for an AI generated thing, which would be perfect, would probably not require much editing, say for maybe a few pronunciation things, but like you don't have to be in a studio for 10, 12, 20 hours recording a book. Like, I feel like this has pretty large ramifications in the very, very near future on like a literal job product. And like, I actually personally try to do some like ADX auditions and read for audiobooks. And now that I'm seeing this news, I'm like, this does not feel like a, uh, an industry that will be widely available soon. You've, you've done this before, right, Stephen? This is difficult work, right? It is actually quite hard to stare at a page, read the words exactly punctually correct in a way that the microphone's going to pick up while telling a story, right? It's, it is a job. Right, right, right. And I and I think that this is um, the perfect example of like a double-edged sword. This is going to be amazing for accessibility. More books undoubtedly will have access to audio versions because of this uh, than before. So that's an overall plus. Less people getting paid isn't great. Someone doing the original voice work for the AI artist probably got one fat paycheck, no residuals. That's not going to happen in this case. They're just getting paid to make the voice and then move on. Uh, so it'll be cheaper overall. You probably have to pay for the program to do it. But I think it also opens doors for more interesting audiobooks because imagine instead of getting uh, one guy doing voices for 40 characters where you mm. define different voices for different roles and then as it yeah. as it generates the book it's like this character is speaking so i'm going to do this voice you can have you know different voice work for different roles and, and have a narrator and everything yeah. all generated by a computer maybe not perfect maybe not well acted but still i think it would be interesting yeah well and especially again i, I keep thinking with all this ai stuff five to 10 years from now, you know, what is it five to 10 years? And I feel like five years from now, it'll probably be good enough where you won't know if it's an AI generated. You might not even be able to tell now, you know, depending on how good the AI is, but five years from now, like I can imagine a majority of audiobooks being created, even if it's based on like human beings, it would be AI generated stuff. And apparently uh, our article says that Apple approached publishers over creating partnerships for this. And there were some publishers that turned Apple down on the AI generated narration. So it seems like some publishers are still trying to hold on to that like human being voiceover for audiobook. But I think it's interesting. Like audio is such a weird thing because like I think like a book, especially certain like informational books, this this is great for acting roles 
are always going to be different or like podcasting. Yes, you can have an AI voice read out a, a news article and call it a podcast. But I think bringing personality to it, that's a that's a far away thing from AI. And so I, I'm not worried about podcasting going away anytime soon. But it does raise the question of like, what does this mean for information and education going forward? And now I can just imagine Apple making a commercial with a, a girl annoyingly saying something like, what's a book, you know, and yeah, everyone's <laughs> sure. heads explode. Uh, nobody reads books anymore. The, that was Steve Jobs's line. Nobody read books anymore. Reads books. <laughs> nobody. Every, a lot of people claim to read books. That's true. I got my true. Um, Apple books year in report. You get a year in report for that? I don't, it's somewhere in the app. It tells you how many books you read for the year. And I read about five. So, <laughs> and, okay, and, that's good. and you know what? It's so annoying because it counts manga and comic books. So I didn't read anything, Steven. I'm telling you that, um, listen, you, you're reading stuff. I like reading words. You know, I've been telling myself since I graduated high school, I need to read more books because it is a favorite pastime. I was that kid that read 40 books a week, Sure, you know, sure. book in, in my face. Now there's just no time. When do you read books, Steven? I need to replace sleep with books books i think that's the only way to do it no no you don't want to do that i read books on the weekend you know i'll try to take a few hours on a sunday afternoon and and read some of a book but i'll also read like a chapter at night and i will say for a long time i really had to buy physical books because when i tried to do anything on a device like my ipad mini which i love i was always pulled another direction like wanting to do something right but i tried again the other day and i think i have my focus modes pretty well set now where when I picked up my iPad mini, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I was able to read a good part of a book on my iPad mini. You know, my eyes didn't get tired. Like it looked really good. I even read outside another day with the iPad mini and the screen was bright enough to read outside. It didn't feel I was sitting on a patio and it was a really nice experience. And so I think I'm going to try and go back into the like reading from my iPad mini doing Apple books. And I, cause I do like the digital book to be able to highlight those highlights sync. And then you can refer to it on your Mac and go back. Like I like all those features and like to do that to a physical book, you have to like physically highlight or like you're destroying a book. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't do that. Yeah. Do you uh, collect physical versions of the books that you purchase in iBooks? No, I don't. I don't do that. There's been a couple books where I've like tried the digital at first and I get too distracted. And so I'll, buy the physical book because it has, has helped me like stay with it. But no, I, I don't buy both. Yeah. I currently don't, but I definitely plan to expand. I have a lot of my favorite books in hardback just because, um, having the physical version of it, it was nice to have a book on deployment, uh, where you couldn't bring electronic devices in restricted areas, but you could bring a book. Okay. And, uh, okay. So, so it was nice to have stuff like that, but I do, I do want to call out since we're talking about books my favorite series of all time oh, fantasy yeah. series called dragon riders of pern if you've never heard of it oh. Anne mccathery amazing perfect book series she died a few years back but uh she finished it is over her son did a couple of books with her and then he did a couple on his own but overall like 25 books in the series perfect and and i love it go go check it out okay very cool start with dragon song you got anything there steven well, I will say well, one of the books I recently read is called Stolen Focus. Uh, it's really uh, this guy going through like all the different things like social media, technology, but even like environmental factors and things that have contributed to our, to our inability to focus and like hold attention. And I think it even like moves into the creative field where like, why is it harder to think of creative ideas? And so I, I really enjoyed that book. I read The Violin Maker last year, which is the book that Ken Cusienda, who built the iPhone original software keyboard and Safari on the Mac, he said The Violin Maker was like his inspiration for creativity. And so I wanted to read what he read. And so The Violin Maker was a, a really interesting book. And, uh, you know, since we're doing book club, you know, hashtag book club for the Apple Insider podcast, I also read uh, How to Be Perfect, which is from Michael Schur, the writer, maybe also producer of The Good Place, which is one of my favorite TV shows, The Good Place with Kristen Bell and, you know, the whole like afterlife morality exploration. Hilarious show. But his book, he basically goes through like all the moral philosophies throughout history from like Aristotelian morals to like Immanuel Kant and all this kind of stuff. So I enjoyed that book this past year as well. So those, those are some of mine. Now, I struggle to get into nonfiction and we can move on from this conversation, but I just want to point out that I feel like 
some of those books are great, but a lot of it is um, just filled in space because they wanted to sell a book. And I get so much more from listening to someone talk about a book than actually read it usually, honest. Like, as far as nonfiction goes. I, I will say that I struggle to read fiction. Like, when I want to experience fiction, I want to watch a movie or TV show. Gotcha. And uh, for, some reading, for some reason, for me, like, I prefer reading more like self-development things. But here's a hack. As the last thing on the book club. When you read a book, like a nonfiction, self-development or whatever, uh, you don't have to finish it. <laughs> like there have, there have been books like Range by David Epstein. It's a great book. The whole idea is trying to be an expert at exactly one thing doesn't necessarily make you like a better person. Like actually being a jack of all trades. I was going to say that's the, that's the jack of all trades guy. Yeah, I've heard of this one. Yeah. It's the jack of all trades yeah. thing. And like I read the first couple chapters and like got the idea like felt okay having many interests and being a jack of all trades myself. And then I was like, you know what? I, I don't think I need to finish this book. Like, I don't think I'm going to gain any more insight right. after like finishing this thing. And so I, I didn't finish it. Sometimes I, I, when I tell people like, this is a good book, I read some of it, maybe, you know, <laughs> like I did read it, right, right. but you like, you, you don't have to finish it. And I will like, to your point, there are many nonfiction books that, are not worth the entire read. And if you ever listen to Cortex uh, with Mike Hurley and CGP Grey. Excellent show. Excellent show. Sometimes they will do a book club. And there was a book that they did called Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a bestseller book, really famous, has great ideas in it. But they were like, don't read this book. Like it is kind of a slog. And there are some good ideas to glean from it. But a lot of it is not worth the time. It is a really long and thick book. And so for that, I'm like, I'm going to listen to this podcast and not read the book. <laughs> and I will glean all the information I need out of it. So just for anybody listening out there, don't feel like you have to finish every book. And like you can still feel accomplished for having read it, for having read some of it. That was good. That was a good aside. Listeners, let us know uh, what books you've been reading. This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor called Factor. It's a new year. Maybe you did a hashtag new year, new me. You've got goals. Well, Factor is here to help you achieve them by saving you time and tackling your to-do list and grocery list by delivering ready-to-eat meals right to your door. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, which I've been to the grocery store in the new year. It's crazy out there. Skip the shopping, skip the chopping, the prepping and cleaning up and let Factor's fresh, never frozen meals, which are ready in just two minutes, save you time and you get delicious food all you have to do is heat and enjoy. No matter your lifestyle, Factor has the meals to help you live to the fullest. They have keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and protein plus meals on the menu each week. And they're prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 36 plus quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. If you're looking to cut back on takeout, get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready and quicker than restaurant delivery. Just two minutes. Listen, I've done restaurant delivery. I've done food delivery. It does not arrive in two minutes. It takes much longer than that. You can get their vegan and veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals. Enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door ready in just two minutes. There's really no easier way to eat well. Achieve and maintain your goals this year with Factor. Get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time, eating well, and living your best year ever. So head to factor75.com slash appleinsider60. That's factor the number 75 slash appleinsider60. And use the promo code appleinsider60 on their website to get 60% off your first box. That's a lot of percent. That's code appleinsider60 at factor75.com slash Apple Insider 60 to get 60% off your first box. That link, just go to the show notes, click that link. I'll have the promo code for you there as well. Try out Factor today. Our thanks to Factor for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turn users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. Well, it doesn't have to be this way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest risk. They're your biggest allies. And your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and giving them step-by-step -step instructions on how to resolve them. 
Take, for instance, one of your employees saves some passwords as a plain text file on their desktop. Well, that's not good security practice, so Collide will send them a private DM in Slack to make sure they're storing their passwords in a secure way. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows, and Linux, and it can answer questions about your fleet security that traditional mobile device managers can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to find out how. And if you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Collide.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, more news. Apple Fitness Plus announced a couple new workouts. This is like the first Apple Newsroom article for the year, which is uh, pretty cool. But Apple Fitness Plus is expanding. On January 9th, you'll be able to do a kickboxing workout. So that's a new workout style. Sleep-themed meditations. Well, I don't assume you would actually be sleeping, uh, but I guess some kind of meditation for sleep. Beyonce is going to be an artist spotlight and new time to walk uh, audio things. And plus three new trainers to Apple Fitness Plus. I've done Apple Fitness Plus multiple times. I really like it. I like the walk things where you can listen to actors, famous people, other athletes kind of just talk for 30 minutes as you go for a walk. And I've enjoyed that. Outdoor walk is kind of like my go-to workout. I do wish that Apple Fitness Plus, maybe we'll see this at WWDC this year, but to add things like like the group workouts, which you can do like group FaceTime deals, but like actually having like synced real-time slash live workouts with a trainer, I think would be interesting. And I know for my wife, she really likes a like 100-day programmatic workout routine. And she does a beach body, which they have like hundred day workouts. They're like day one, day two, day three. And like, you don't have to think about what workout to do. You can literally just go in order and they kind of work it out where you do it three or four times a week. And it, you know, works as that schedule. It'd be nice if fitness plus had those kind of like guided courses or like guided classes to say like, here is a 30 day program from Apple fitness plus you can do this five days a week and just, you know, just do the order. Apple Fitness Plus has something called collections. Mm. It's like a seven-day workout regimen or a, you know, several-week workout regimen where you do one a week or something. Like, they just introduced two. with the, There was several announcements with this little release, and they, they announced six weeks to restart your fitness, mm. which uh, releases January 9th. So it's a training course. You do one, I guess, every week or a couple times a week or something over a course of six weeks. Now, unlike, like, Beachbody and these other things, it's not really – taking you into account they're pre-recorded videos right right. and it's just you're watching a fitness trainer talk to everyone on the planet about the same topic over and over and you're doing the exact same course as every other person it's not adjusting to your level it's not adjusting to how much you've done before or it's not taking into account that you worked out another time outside of this regimen right it's a dumb you know like you ordered a vhs tape that comes every week kind of (laughs) tybo with billy blanks right yeah like that kind of workout regimen (laughs) and i don't know how like I, I don't know how these other things work. I've never looked at them, but I do understand that some of them do take into account your overall workout regimen, diet, and like can tweak what's recommended and give you different workouts to do based on how much you've worked your arms this week. You're going to do your legs next week. Like I've seen that other things do that. Apple just doesn't do any of that kind of guesswork, even though they have all the data. And I'm with you. I, that's like my main wish for fitness plus growth in the future um, of just take the information you have apple i'm feeding you all this stuff make it worth my while and upgrade the fitness plus experience to actually be for me not for every person on the planet tuning in sure now this happened before kind of the new years and and we recorded the year in review episode i did with jason Aiton. that was a lot of fun check it out last episode in the feed but this happened before all that but i, I wanted to bring it up now, because I heard John Gruber on the talk show talk about it and the ATP guys, the LastPass breach. So basically LastPass, which is a password manager app up until now has really been mentioned in the same breath as like 1Password or iCloud Keychain Last and Dashlane is another option that it was just kind of another viable password app and option. But their data was breached and basically millions of users vaults were stolen from the company. Now, just having users vaults, like your password vaults, does not necessarily mean that the hackers can access the information inside of it. But because LastPass only encrypts the data in the vault 
with the user's master password, namely like the one password you're supposed to remember as the user so you can access all of your data on your computer or the app in LastPass, that if you figure out that one master password for these LastPass vaults, the hackers would then have access to all of the information, like the web URLs, the usernames, passwords, like they would have everything. LastPass was trying to say that it would take, quote, millions of years to crack a user's master password. And so even though all this data has been stolen, there's not that much of a risk to the LastPass users. But 1Password, kind of like the the big name in this space, says that brute force hacking a user's master password, because it's a user-generated master password, it actually would not take that long. It could be done in fewer than 10 billion guesses, which sounds like a lot, but remember, this is not like people guessing. This is a computer program running through all these password combinations. Also, phishing, right? <laughs> phishing, yeah, that is also a danger. Like phishing, basically like fooling people into giving up their passwords through fake emails or what have you, like spam calls. But that one password says like for about $100 is all it would cost for a brute force application to crack these master passwords for LastPass vaults. We've not heard yet of like horror stories, at least not that I'm aware of, of this LastPass breach, but this is comparison to 1Password and iCloud Keychain specifically. When you think about the differences between these systems, 1Password not only requires a decryption master password, so you have the 1Password like LastPass, where this is what accesses the vault, but 1Password also has a secret key for every 1Password account, which is like a secondary piece of information that is required in order to access the vaults, in order to decrypt the vault's information. And so if the same thing were to happen to 1Password, let's say, and God forbid, like all the vaults of 1Passwords were stolen by some hacking community, they would need not just a user's master password to decrypt the data, which is the case with LastPass, but they would also need the secret key, which is unique per user in uh, the 1Password system. Also, iCloud Keychain has another similar like secondary method of protection, namely your iCloud two-factor. So like when you try to sign into iCloud on a new device or just try to sign into iCloud, the website, you know, you have to have your username, your password, but also the two-step verification code, which is not via SMS, although you can do SMS as a backup, but you know, it sends like a proprietary notification to all of your Apple devices, six-digit code, and you have to hit okay. That would also be required to decrypt any data in your iCloud keychain. So just overall, doesn't look great for LastPass. Like LastPass, uh, this is not a great sign into the kind of security that LastPass put for their vaults, but uh, you know, gives a little more confidence in one password's method of securing your data. And of course, iCloud Keychain and uh, has me thinking again, maybe I just want to go all in on iCloud Keychain. Well, so my understanding about LastPass is it, it grew very popular a few years ago, I think because it was one of the free options or or there, I think there's a free and a paid option or something. Anyway, it's just easier to get into than other like services because they're usually paid. And for some reason, everyone forgets that Google and Apple offer their own built-in free password systems. But I think the reason why people are attracted to things like LastPass is because they're looking for a, a tool that they consider universal that can go between Windows and iCloud and Android and stuff. And that's, again, understandable, but I, I just don't understand why people still go with LastPass. I have heard of a LastPass breach like every six months for the last like eight years. I like I mm. this sounds like an exaggeration, but maybe it's just always in the back of my mind. But I feel like we are constantly being told that LastPass has been breached in some way or passwords have been stolen or something. It, it Maybe I'm con confusing it with another company, but like, I just I have never been able to recommend LastPass. And I've always told people if you need something bigger than iCloud, just pay for one password. Like it's worth it. $40 a year, I, I would argue is very affordable is I think their general plan for personal use. Sure. But iCloud, iCloud keychain should be what everyone uses that doesn't need the family features or, and again, like that, that universal password transference thing, it's becoming less of an, less of an issue with each passing like month. Like it's not even, we don't have to wait for every WWDC They're They're expanding uh, the capabilities of keychain every few releases so now you can get a chrome extension um there's uh, the windows password manager so through chrome you can probably access it on android it's a little it's a little iffy on android but if you're an android user you should probably be using google's 
password manager, right? So I just don't understand why people like the, I feel like the market doesn't need 50 password managers. Like this isn't like an app store. You just need a couple of good secure options and it needs to be whittled down to a few options because of issues like this where security gets compromised. And if there's too many things running around claiming to be a password manager, people get enticed into these uh, compromising situations and then find that their information has been stolen and it's just not great. Yeah. Now, the one thing that has kept me from going all in on iCloud Keychain is I do use one password for things like bank accounts, like checking accounts, savings accounts. I like to keep those numbers in there. I also keep sensitive information like social security numbers and all that. And iCloud Keychain does not have like specific like entries for those kinds of pieces of data. You, it's not as widely it's not as flexible. applicable. Right? It's not as flexible. What you're saying is you use uh, 1Password's secure notes feature, which lets you add just random bits of information to an encrypted vault. Well, not but not even that. Like 1Password has like specific categories for like bank accounts. And so it'll right. have like the automated populated fields. And then you can search yep. for autofill yeah but also like you could search for bank accounts and then just see like pull up quickly all of your bank account numbers in one go you know whereas like if you try to do the same thing on apple's keychain it's possible but it's a workaround intensive task like you could store your your bank accounts um checking account number and, and savings number in the password uh notes field inside of the keychain, right? But you'd have to remember that it's there. You'd have to go and open it and search it, and yeah, it's much more complicated. And I also keep like uh, software license codes, like serial numbers for software that I've purchased in One Password. And there's like again specific categories and types of items in One Password for that. Even Wi-Fi passwords, you know, I keep that in there. And again, you can kind of hack all this in. I did see an article from someone recently. I forgot who it was, but they basically said they moved from One Password to iCloud Keychain. But one of their solutions was keeping some of the data in Apple Notes in secure notes where you can like, you know, yep. password protect individual notes, but that does not help with like ease of copy paste, easily accessing that information. Storing the data, like there's, that that's the thing. There's no issues with storing the data. You can, there's a million ways to do it on iOS. Like that's my method is I store secure information in Apple Notes encrypted, and then I secure passwords and stuff in, in Keychain. And I don't have any other password manager. I'm not, so I'm all in on Apple systems. Sure. But that's the trade-off is you're, you are sacrificing the convenience of a paid program. Like one password is excellent because you have to pay for it. Like it's a, if you can throw the $40 a year at it, it's absolutely worth the price of admission. For sure. And sharing vaults again, like that would be a huge feature. If you could share logins with your iCloud family members, I would deeply consider going all in on iCloud Keychain. I wonder if there, there's an issue with that because of end-to-end -end encryption and how Apple handles passwords. Maybe it needs a separate family vault where you can like choose, kind of like iCloud shared photo library. When you say move the photo from your personal library to the uh, family library, it takes your password, right. your, the, I'm sorry, the photo out of your personal photo library and moves it into the family photo library. I think a, a similar system could be used for passwords where you have a vault of these are the shared passwords and they are not duplicated across platforms. I think that would solve the end encryption issue, sure. but it raises concerns for other things like, do you want everyone to have unilateral access to certain passwords? Right. I will say final thing, if you do want to switch to iCloud Keychain, they do have an import passwords feature. So you could export your library from one password and import it into iCloud Keychain in the system settings on a Mac. And you could do that. And you can also export all of your iCloud keychain passwords. Because one of the things is like my process right now, I'll save every login in both. I save it in iCloud keychain and I save it in one password because I'm also like a redundancy nerd. Like I want to know I have it in two places. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. But if I were to go in all in on iCloud keychain, because I didn't know you could do this before, you can export all your passwords from iCloud keychain as just a plain text CSV file. And I would not keep that file like in a unsecured cloud service, you know, like I wouldn't put it on my Dropbox or whatever, but 
If you have a local storage solution like a Synology, maybe put it on there. Or what I would probably do is literally just print it out and put it in a physical safe and like let that physical copy be the redundancy to iCloud Keychain. Terrible. Paper is the worst security. I mean, unless you... Redundancy. Wes, what happens if you lose access to your, your iCloud for some reason? You put it in a, in a safe with a lock on it that if you enter the wrong password in five times, a uh, like thermite goes off inside of the safe and sets everything on fire. No, no. I want a low tech safe. Like I'm talking like a locker style rotary dial. So you don't even have to worry about losing a key. You know, it's just a turn dial thing. Many times as you need to figure it out. And people, people were talking about how easy it is to, uh, break into the lock in someone's front door. You imagine how easy it is to break into a rotary lock safe. I mean, I just, I don't think Ocean's Eleven is going to be breaking into my house, trying to get into my safe, but at least it's, it is a secure enough, right. like it's in my bedroom closet. It's really just from my knowledge that if something were to happen to my iCloud account, I can still get my passwords. It, it is funny because we're, we are basically offering uh, what water to fish or whatever the expression is, is the, the, like <laughs> the, these people that are using LastPass are all their their foot's already in the door. They're using a password yeah. manager. They're trying to be safe. Yeah. yeah. Yet the entire rest of the, it's like that kid drowning in the swimming pool. The entire rest of the planet is using the same password for 400 different accounts. And it's their last name. One, two, three yeah. birthday. I will say uh, my, my dad, he had this method. He did not save passwords in like one password. I don't even know if he did it in iCloud keychain. Instead, he had a secure note on his phone that he would basically write a riddle <laughs> that describes what the password was that only he could like decrypt. And like me and my mom a couple times have had to like try and decipher what these riddles are, which there's a small element of fun, but really it's more concerning because like, I don't know if we're going to get to an account one day where it's like, <laughs> we can't figure out what he meant by this. But I think actually that's pretty slick, like pretty slick to like yeah. riddle out your passwords where even if someone saw it, they wouldn't know. The password is a limerick written in a certain, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a it's an Aesop's fable uh, that you have to figure out. But anyway, uh, if you use the LastPass, I would recommend changing your passwords and just moving to iCloud Keychain. Pay for one password or get iCloud iCloud Keychain. Ignore everything else on the planet. Dashlane's fine. It's it's um I've used it before. It's uh more gooey pretty like it's it's interface is very pretty looking yeah it's not gonna it doesn't really do anything any different from one password um i don't really know much else about it other than just get one password or if you don't want to pay icloud keychain or google and i mean outside of that what what do you need you're fine well again the only thing about like icloud keychain is like if you need to use chrome or brave it is a bit of a it's process a because there's yeah. no there's no extensions you know what i mean like you can't do an icloud keychain autofill in google chrome but it, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. But choose what's best for you. If you're a Chrome user, use the Google system, right? right. Like I have nothing against Google's password sure. system. If you're already in that area, like you're, you're, you're not going to worry about giving Google your passwords. So just use their password system. That's true. Like, you know. Yeah. Fair. So DaVinci Resolve, the editor, this was announced with the M2 iPad Pro back in October. It is now available. There were lots of videos like on YouTube of people reviewing it. And we have an article, William wrote it, basically that there are now super powerful video editors on the iPad. Of course, we've had LumaFusion for a long time. That's still there. You have Premiere Rush from Adobe. And now DaVinci Resolve, which is like a really powerful video editing application. I've had a couple people, I was on the uh, iPad Pros podcast with Tim and I still am not tempted to try these third-party options. <laughs> like I love Final Cut so much and I use it on the Mac every day. Like I still just want Final Cut on the iPad. Like it's great that we have these options and if there are DaVinci Resolve users out there, I'd be curious how the iPad version compares to your normal workflow. But all of these things, at least for me personally, would be a learning curve. And so I'm still holding out. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Holding out for Final Cut on the iPad. Do you think we have any chance of that? I mean, it's going to happen eventually. Like uh, just either Final Cut gets uh, converted to Swift UI or something. I don't know. They're, they're, I feel like there's two roads converging and eventually they have to converge. So either... In a yellow wood. Yeah, yeah. like either either the I, iPad Pro gets just so powerful that they're like, it'll run it without us even have to convert anything. It just automatically works. Or um, Final Cut Pro gets converted into an iPad app because uh, universal app architecture gets so good that they don't, again, they don't have to do anything. Like I think those roads just meet in the middle at some point and just by happenstance, 
science almost. I don't think Apple's going to deliberately do it because if they were, they would have already done that. But I think just by happenstance, almost by accident, they're like, oops, Final Cut's on iPad now. It, it'll happen eventually, sure. Yeah. But there's it, it, there's as much likelihood as Aperture coming back, I think, as Apple developing Final Cut specifically for iPad at this point, though. All right. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you, Wes, I'm going to ask for your help. I'm asking you for Genius Bar assistance. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's a good answer for this. As I have grown in my HomePod network and Apple TV network, whenever something is playing on a HomePod, let's say, for instance, my kids are playing something in the kitchen HomePod, which is on like the opposite side of the wall from here in my studio. Every time I pick up my phone, it is showing what is playing on that HomePod mini. I have the controls for it. The artwork comes up, which when you're wanting to control the thing that's playing is really convenient. But when you're wanting to play something on your phone, not stop what is on the HomePod in the other room and not like accidentally airplay what I want to listen to, to that HomePod, trying to figure out the voodoo to actually disconnect from that HomePod and like in the control center, do weird things or in the music app. And like, it'll ask, do you want to replace what's on that HomePod? And I say, no, I don't want to do that. Do you have any uh, knowledge or secret information on like best practices for disconnecting from whatever currently playing HomePod or Apple TV and just like playing something on my phone without it being like a whole deal? Do you ever run into this issue? It's a swipe and three taps, Stephen. Are you serious? It, but but if but if that's complicated, it, it's what you said. It's the control center thing. You swipe down to get control center. You tap on the now playing widget. You tap on control other speakers, and then you tap on your iPhone. The end. You're done. Um, I know that's annoying and stupid, but that's I. It's now muscle memory to the point where I don't even think about it. Bam, bam, bam. I'm controlling my iPhone. I'm no longer controlling my office HomePods or whatever. But does that never accidentally move whatever was playing on the HomePod to your iPhone? No, because when you um, do, if you do the control other speakers and devices, you are selecting what you're controlling. Now, what you're talking about is if you hit the AirPlay indicator by the skip button inside of the uh, playing widget, right? that opens a menu called uh, that is AirPlay One. This is where you're. This is the AirPlay One standard where you're joining all the Air HomePod speakers and Apple TVs together to create one unifying thing. Everybody's playing the same thing. So if you click on something in there, that moves the audio to the different device or removes it from the HomePod and brings it to your iPhone. That is not the menu you want. You want the menu be way below at the bottom that says Control Other Speakers and TVs. And it brings up the list of every HomePod and thing that you own in the house showing what's now playing on all of them. And you select your iPhone. Okay. And then you're done. I'll try that. I'll try that from now on. Now, now for listeners, if you don't, if that's, again, it doesn't have to be three button presses. It can be one button press using shortcuts. If you have the shortcut, <laughs> right. So <laughs> yeah. you can build a shortcut that, and I, I like this too. Um, you can build a shortcut where, uh, you can get as complicated as you want, but you can add an icon to your home screen or use the shortcuts widget and have a uh, play Apple Music or play my favorite playlist or play my radio station, whatever. You When you click on the icon or the shortcut or whatever, it'll just connect to your AirPods, you know, switch audio to your phone, connect to your AirPods if they're, if they're in and start playing the audio source of your choice, be it Overcast or Podcast or Apple Music, whatever. Just design the shortcut however you want and your one button press away anytime that you want to just get audio on your phone playing okay. or just set up a shortcut that simply one button press and your your audio source is now your iphone and uh that way you don't have to go to control center but steven it's a swipe and three taps it's all right i, I will practice <laughs> i will practice listeners let me know if it justify my my frustration if you any of you out there also experience the wild like shifting of audio let me know you can tweet at wes and myself or mastodon us you can mastodon what you're on mastodon i have your link in the in the show notes yep and i'm on mastodon and of course thanks for all the five-star reviews support the show you can get an ad-free version in apple podcast or patreon.com slash apple insider and we'll be back next week hopefully exciting apple things coming this year in 2023 i'm looking forward to it all thanks for listening we'll catch you next time